You guys can turn to John 17. That's where we are today. A really amazing passage. It's, it's phenomenal because in this passage, Jesus prays for us, specifically for us. And I, I chose this passage because I feel like the beginning of a new year, it's important to talk about prayer. Just take a, a week and think about how we pray and what we're doing when we pray. Because if this book is true, then nothing will be more determinative of your success in 2019 as the quality of your prayer life. Ultimately, that will matter more than how early you wake up in the morning or how many times you make it to the gym or whatever changes you make. The thing that will matter most is the quality of your prayer life. And so we're going to start the year with that. That's going to be our, our sermon today. We're going to talk about prayer. And, and the question that I want to propose to you is, it's clear in Scripture, when you pray, like there's not like a narrow list of things you can pray for, like this is okay, this is not okay. You can pray for anything. You can ask God for anything when you pray. And so the question is, what should we pray for? What should be our priorities in prayer? What should we put at kind of the top of our wish list when we talk to God, when we ask him for things in 2019? Well, I'll start with a little illustrational story for you. Uh, about eight years ago, my wife and I took a vacation with Luke and Gracie. They were about two years old at the time, three years old, something like that. We went to Galveston, and no trip with little kids in Galveston is complete without a visit to the souvenir shop. We went to Murdoch's, which is like this massive souvenir shop that goes out over the ocean. It's huge. It has just a phenomenal amount of toys and kites and games and all kinds of cool things. And and we had kind of talked and had decided that this was going to be a special day for our kids. We would tell them, hey, whatever you want, you can have one thing and we will buy it for you. So it would be like Christmas in July. So what do my toddlers do? They walk into Murdoch's to the first rack and pick up the first thing they see, a little rubber bouncy ball, and say, Daddy, I'll take this. And I thought, wait a minute, you have like a thousand of those. It's not that fun. It's nothing compared to the stuff in the middle of the store. So keep going, put the ball back. So they put it back and then they walk about three feet more into the store and they get to the postcard rack and they each grab a postcard. Daddy, I want this one, a postcard. Like you're going to be bored in 10 seconds if I get you that. No, keep going. Look for better things. There's like kites and boats in the middle of the store. Keep going. See, my kids weren't old enough and wise enough yet to ask for the best things. They asked for trivial things instead. And we're older and wiser, hopefully, than toddlers are, and yet we tend to make the same mistake in prayer. We content ourselves with asking for relatively insignificant things when we could ask for so much more, such bigger things, such more important things. And so God invites us in prayer to ask for anything. And so what are the most important things? Now, it is important to clarify. We're going to talk about priorities in prayer this morning. We're talking about the biggest things to pray for. That doesn't mean that you can't also ask for the small things. See, God isn't like me. I could afford one toy. God can afford infinite toys. So you may ask God for anything and everything, big and small. He wants you to bring all requests to him. However, he wants you to start with first things first. What should you prioritize when you pray? What are the highest and best things to ask God to do in your life? And so this morning we're going to look at Jesus' prayer 
In John 17, it's often called the high priestly prayer because Jesus is functioning as your priest in this prayer. He is praying for you to God. And we're going to read this prayer and we're going to think about it and we're going to try to learn what's most important to pray for. Now, I will say there's a lot of really complex theology in this chapter, especially about the Trinity. We don't have time to unpack that this morning. All that I can focus on this morning is this. This question, based on Jesus' example, what are the highest and best things to pray for in 2019? What should we focus on? So Jesus in this prayer, I think he gives us six priorities here. You could kind of divvy it up in different ways, but as I read it, there's six most essential things that jump out to me that are the most important things to ask God to do in your life this coming year. And so let's jump right in. The first priority in prayer that Jesus gives us is found in the first five verses. So if you'll look with me there, starting in chapter 17, verse 1. Jesus spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you've given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you've given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory with I, which I had with you before the world was. In, in this moment of great need, so just think about the timing here, John 17, Jesus is about to be betrayed. Judas has already left. So Jesus knows, like, betrayal's happening right now. I'm about to die, and this is what he prays for. This is where he starts, not with relief from pain or escape from what was coming, but Jesus begins his first priority. He wants to glorify God. That's the first essential things. He wants to be used to glorify God. Now, glorify is a word you hear all the time in church. It's like a really common word. What does it actually mean to glorify you? I'm going to try to give you the, the simplest definition I can. To, to glorify someone means that you publicly praise that person so that everyone thinks they're great. Or in our vernacular, to glorify means to make someone famous. You're making them famous so that everybody thinks, wow, this person is amazing. If you want an illustration, some of you were here when Johnny Manziel won the Heisman. What did Texas A&M do when he won the Heisman? They went out and bought a billboard, literally, in Times Square. They put up a billboard of Manziel, like they lifted him up, quite literally, so everyone would see him and think, wow, that guy's great. That's what it means to glorify someone. Jesus wanted to glorify the Father with his life. Now, for Jesus, he had an unusual path to glorifying God. He needed to be glorified as well. Jesus needed to become famous by becoming the Savior of the world. And so that's why he asked God to glorify him too. He needed to be lifted up as the sacrifice for our sins and then rise from the dead so all of us would find life in him. You glorify the Father through the Son. We have to come through Jesus. And so Jesus asked God to glorify him so he can glorify the Father. That, doesn't, that part doesn't apply to us. We don't need to be glorified. Jesus took care of Savior of the world thing. We don't need to do that. 
But just like Jesus, we are called to use our lives to glorify God. That's the purpose why we are here. We're called to make God famous. That's actually why you're here on the planet. Guff talked about that in the announcements this morning. The the sole reason God has left you on the planet Earth rather than taking you to heaven is so you can help people find and follow Jesus. You glorify Jesus. That's the reason we're here. That's the reason we're sent into the world. Look at verse 18 real quick. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Jesus is talking about you. He sends you into the world to glorify God, to tell people how good and great God is. Now, when I was younger, I struggled some with this concept. And a lot of people have asked me questions that make me think maybe a lot of people wonder about this. Is it egotistical of God to want to be famous? Have you ever thought about that? God says, the whole reason I created you and put you on this planet is to glorify me. Does that sound a little prideful to you? Well, it would be if it was any of us saying it. It's not prideful or egotistical for God for at least two reasons. First of all, because our God is Trinity. Our God is Trinity, and because he is Trinity, it is always one member of the Trinity seeking to lift up another member of the Trinity. So in Scripture, it's not really the Father glorifying the Father, it's the Father glorifying the Son, and the Son glorifying the Father, and the Spirit glorifying the Father and the Son. And so when you look at the nature of the Trinity, it is always selfless, always one member serving and lifting up the other members. So that's the first reason. The second reason that it's not egotistical is because glorifying God is actually what is best for humanity. If you pause and think for a moment about a friend of yours or a family member who doesn't yet know Jesus, they don't yet believe in God, what is the best thing for them out of all options in the universe? You know the answer. It's that they would come to know God that they would come to glorify God. That's what's best for them because that's the only way for them to find true, lasting peace, joy, and happiness. And so you know that's what's best for them. And so it's not egotistical of God to want glory. It is actually good because it's what's best for all of us to glorify him. So Jesus wants the Father to be glorified because he knows that's what's best for the human race. So that's the first thing that should categorize or characterize our prayers first Uh, priority is that our lives would glorify God. And so very practically, that means that as you pray in 2019, before you get to smaller things, which are okay to pray for, first, pray that God would use your life to glorify him. Pray that God would use everything in your life, everything going on, the good stuff, the bad stuff, all of it, to make him famous. Because that's what's best for you and everyone else on this planet. Okay, so that's the first priority in prayer, that we would glorify God at homework, school, and the community. Please pray that for yourself. Please pray that for our church. Please pray that for me. Pray that for one another, for your families. Pray often that our lives would glorify God. That's the most important. Okay, now second priority. Jesus begins to pray for all of his disciples and their followers. That's all of us. Let's pick it up in verse 6. We're going to read a chunk of this. Jesus said, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now, they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them and they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you and they believed that you sent me. 
I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all things that are mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I've been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world. I come to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. There's a lot that's said in those verses that we just read. But the focus here comes from verse 11, the second priority in prayer, that we would remain loyal and in love with God. I think the key phrase is right there in the middle of verse 11, Jesus prays, keep them in your name. To keep means to to guard or to preserve someone and to preserve them in your name. Remember, we've said this many times in the ancient world, your name wasn't just sounds that get your attention like our names are. Names in the ancient world, they summarized all that you are and all that you've done. Your name was you. And so what Jesus is praying is God keep them close to you. Don't let them wander off after lesser loves. Don't let them fall prey to sin and to temptation. Keep them loyal and in love with you. So I'll give you an an illustration of the idea here. Julie and I, we raised our kids maroon. So Luke and Gracie, they knew Giggum like as some of the earliest words that that are in their vernacular because we both went to Texas A&M. We live here in College Station. But a lot of my family actually went to the University of Texas. And they feel that it is their they feel that it is their duty to give my children perhaps a more balanced perspective on higher education in the state of Texas. And so to my chagrin, my dad taught one of my kids Hook'em Horns when he was two years old. And that that didn't actually really bother me. I have no ill will towards the University of Texas, but I was a little scared about what's gonna happen to my kids when they go to school. Because what, what if Luke flashes hook'em horns in the cafeteria? That's a quick way to lose friends in this town. And so I thought to myself, well, I, I hope that Luke and Gracie remain loyal to their maroon roots, that they stay loyal to their school. Don't be led astray. I, I know that Texas beat Georgia, but it, it was just a fluke. That's not going to happen again. And so... I want my kids to remain loyal and in love with their school, but far more important, Jesus wants us to remain loyal and in love with God. That is infinitely more important than what school you like. He wants us to remain loyal and in love with God and not fall prey to lesser loves, not be led astray. Now we must clarify, when we talk about remaining loyal and in love with God, let's remember that is a one-sided thing. God will always remain loyal and in love with us. That's guaranteed. If you've trusted in Jesus, that's done. God will always be loyal to you and in love with you, no matter what you do. But our loyalty and love is not guaranteed because we're human. And for humans, love is fickle. Sometimes we feel in love with God. Sometimes we don't. We struggle to remain loyal to him. And so Jesus teaches us, pray often for yourself, for your friends, for your spouse, for your kids, for your church, for me, for the community, that we would remain loyal and in love with God. That is our second priority in prayer as we enter 2019. Third priority in prayer is found in the next few verses. Look with me at verse 13. 
Jesus says, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. What Jesus is focusing on in this passage, our third priority, is that we would be protected from Satan. When John uses this phrase, the world, it's almost always negative in John. He's not talking about like the planet Earth or humanity in general. He's talking about the world in rebellion against God. He's talking about the world of unbelievers that kind of runs our our society, our culture, our world. What's interesting to me is that Jesus does not pray that we would be removed from the world of unbelievers. He's not interested in us creating Christian bubbles or our own place over here. He wants us to be in the world alongside those who don't know him because how would we glorify him if we remove ourselves? So he wants us in this world and meshed with it, being witnesses for Jesus. But he knows if we are in the world glorifying God, witnessing for Jesus, that is going to make us targets of attack. And so he brings up the evil one. That is Satan and what Jesus has taught in the course of the book of John, all the way up to this point, is that Satan is real and he's powerful and he wants to destroy you. His goal is to destroy actually all of humanity, but particularly believers. It tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. It's important to read the context of that verse and realize that's not about unbelievers. It's about us. Satan is prowling for us. Now, he can't destroy your eternal life. That's guaranteed. You're going to be with God forever, but he can destroy this life. He can make you useless for God's kingdom now. And that's what he wants. He is very real, very powerful, and very dangerous. And so Jesus challenges us to pray regularly for God's protection over us, over our kids, over our church. We, on a, on a typical day, probably don't think much about Satan. Doesn't like come to our mind. Jesus didn't make that mistake. He prayed all the time about this. Because he realized there is an enemy. He's very powerful and he's coming for you. And so pray that God would protect you each day this year and your spouse and your kids and your friends and your church. Okay, so pray for God's protection over us. Fourth priority is found in the next few verses. Look at verse 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world for their sakes. I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. This fourth priority in prayer, Jesus is praying that we would know, believe, and obey God's word. He specifically says, he asks God, sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify, it means to be made holy. In Greek, that's actually the same word. Sanctify, holy, same same root word there. He wants us to become holy. How do we become holy? In the truth. And then he tells us explicitly in verse 17, your word is truth. This is the, the truth he's talking about. God, make them holy by conforming them to the truths of your word, 
of this book. That's what Jesus wants for us. That, that our lives in 2019 would be more and more conformed to the truths of this book. Now, how does that happen? How does your life, practically speaking, day to day, become more like the truth of this book? Well, it, it takes three steps. You can see them on the screen. First, you've got to know it. You can't become conformed to something you don't know. You have to know what is in this book. You've got to read it, study it, come to understand it. Now, to help you with that, in two weeks, I'm going to start a three-sermon series that's going to walk you through the whole book. We'll do Genesis to Revelation in three weeks. I'll walk you through the whole overall story so that you understand what God is saying in this book. Big idea. So that's starting in two weeks. So first, you have to know it. Second, you have to believe it. It's not enough to just know. You have to believe this is actually God's word. It is actually true. Now, it's important to clarify. We're not saying our interpretations of it are true. I'm sure I make lots of mistakes up here. But the book itself, it is true. You've got you to gotta believe that even when the world ridicules you for it. Because this book, if we're honest, says a lot of things that are pretty unpopular right now. It talks a lot about sex. It talks a lot about creation, it talks a lot about other religions, and it says things that our world finds offensive. And so are you willing to cling to this, to believe that this is true, even when the world ridicules you for it? But it's not enough to just know and believe it. Third, you got to obey it. Ultimately, becoming holy is about behavior. It is about the, the practices of your life. So you have to put this book into practice if you're going to become holy, if you're going to be sanctified. And so Jesus realizes this is hard. It's hard to find the time in our busy lives. It's hard to study it. It's hard to believe it and put it in practice. And so he teaches us, you should be praying for this. Pray regularly that God will help you to know and believe And obey his word. Pray that for yourself. Again, for your kids, for your friends, for your church. Regularly pray that God will help you to know, believe, and obey his word. All right, next priority. Fifth priority that Jesus gives us in this prayer. Look at verse 20. He says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity." So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. This next priority, fifth priority that Jesus gives us is that we would be unified. That all of God's people would be one. One family, just as the Father and the Son are one. That we would be so supernaturally unified that it would prove to the world that Jesus is real. That Jesus is the Son of God. The world would look at our, at our selfless, loving unity and say, wow, there's something real there. There's something otherworldly there. We want to know your God. Okay, so Jesus is calling us to be unified. Now, this brings up a very frequent question. Is Jesus saying that we should not have all these different denominations in our town? Should we just be one big church meeting all together? Well, the answer to that is no. First of all, because there's no building big enough for all of us. 
we would have to meet in Kyle Field. And I don't want to be out there in Kyle Field today. Did you see how awful the weather is? That doesn't work. Second, there's no board of elders that can lead a church that big. You'd never know one another. It would be crazy. So actually, God likes smaller sized churches. Like, this is wonderful. I love the size of Southwood. It's small enough that you can know one another, that you can do life together. Okay, so it's okay to have all of these smaller churches in this town. God actually likes that. And if you're going to have all of these smaller churches, there's no way around the fact that we're going to disagree about some stuff. We're going to have different opinions about secondary theological issues or about particular ways to practice things or about worship styles. And that's okay to have all of these different expressions of the church in this town because that creates variety. And God loves that created lots of tropical fish, not just one. He loves variety. And so here's the key. It's good to have all of these different churches practicing Christianity in unique ways. The key is to make sure that we all unify and love and support one another in this town. That's the key. That when the unbelieving world looks at Christians in Bryan College Station, they say, yeah, there's lots of churches, but they all love one another. They all care about one another. They all support one another. That's why Brian and Matt and I and the college pastors and a lot of the different pastors of this church, we meet often with pastors from all different churches in this town. Lots of different churches represented, some that practice Christianity very differently. And we gather about every six weeks for prayer and to share stories and to talk about best practices. Because that's, that's what God has called us to do. We're, we're this family, but we're also that bigger family together. And so Grace Bible Church, we will unify with any church that preaches Jesus and loves God. That's great. We can disagree about secondary things, but we can link arms together to glorify God in this world. We can even work together. If you didn't know, the the International Student Furniture Giveaway that we did a little while ago, it was actually multiple churches doing that together. We unified together so we could impact more of the community than one single church could. So that's what Jesus wants. He wants us to be one unified family, but then unifying with all these other families of faith in our community, loving and supporting one another. So that's the next prayer, that we would be unified. Please pray that often, again, for yourself, for your families, for your church, and for the whole community, for Bryan College Station, that the family of God would be unified here, not divided. Sixth and final priority that Jesus gives us, we're going to find it in verse 24. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am. So that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. What Jesus wants is for us to be physically with him. Now, we're with him in in a spiritual sense, but actually to be present where he is in his flesh today. Jesus wants us to be with him and to see him in his glory. So that no longer would we walk by faith, we would walk by sight. What Jesus is praying for is that he would come back soon. He's praying that that he would return soon so that we could be with him and see him in all his glory. We should be praying that every day. Why? Because, again, if this book is true, then we believe the only thing that can fix what truly ails this world is the return of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of other things that are good in this world education and and health care and innovation, lots of wonderful things, but none of them can fix the root of the problem that plagues the human race, sin and Satan. They can do nothing about that. Only Jesus can. And so we should be praying every day that God would send Jesus back because he alone can solve the ultimate problems of this world. 
So every time you read the news and feel sadness in your soul, use that as a prompt to pray, Jesus, please come back. You're the only one who can finally fix this mess. And so pray frequently that Jesus would come back. That prayer is, is actually where the New Testament ends. So the second to last verse in your New Testament is this. The red is Jesus speaking. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. And then John says, amen, come Lord Jesus, Maranatha, come now. That is the cry of our hearts. It should be the cry every day that we see sin and tragedy and pain and suffering in this world. Lord Jesus, let it end. Come back and fix all that is broken. And so here are our six priorities in prayer. As the men go back to prepare communion, which we get to celebrate this morning, I want us to reflect on these six priorities for a moment. Again, it's important to remember This is not a limitation, meaning you can't pray for other things. This is to focus you, to help you remember what is highest and best to pray for first. And so as you look at this list of six things, I want you to think to yourself for a moment, what stands out to you? Is there anything there that surprised you that it was on Jesus's list? Is there anything not there that your surprise isn't there? What convicts you? What item on that list makes you think, wow, my my prayer life needs to change for that one to be a more regular part of it? As I look at this list, what stands out to me is that Jesus, when he was praying this prayer, he knew that he was, as best we can tell, a matter of maybe a few hours from being whipped and beaten. Like he knew what was happening. He knew Judas was betraying him in that moment. He knew he was headed to imprisonment and eventually crucifixion. And yet he does not ask for physical safety or health or comfort or happiness. Not that any of those things are bad. But he knew his time was short and so he focused on these six things. This is what makes the top of his list when he only has a little bit of time to pray. That's very convicting to me. How often do I make these things the the heart and the priority of my prayer life? I'll give you some examples of, of how you begin to pray like Jesus did. If you are sick or someone you love is sick, I want to be clear. It is good and proper to pray that God would heal them. That's a good prayer. It happens lots in the Bible. But first, pray that God would use this sickness however long it lasts to glorify him and to grow that person in love and loyalty to him. Because that's what's most important. So pray for healing, but put above it these six things. If you are single and you really want to be married, well, it is good and proper to pray for a godly spouse. That's a good thing. But first, pray that God would use this season in your life of singleness to glorify him and to grow you to to know and believe and, and obey his word more and to be more loving and loyal to him. Pray that God would use this season in your life for these six things because that's first. Parents, this is a really convicting list to us. What Jesus is challenging us to do in this list is to make sure that our prayers for our kids are not first about grades and health and happiness. Those are good things to pray for, but not first. First, pray for your kids' holiness, then his happiness. First, pray for your kids' godliness, 
then they're great. You've got to keep first things first. Because what's most important for your kids to be a success in God's eyes in this life is this six things. Not happiness or long life or health or lots of friends or good grades. None of that matters compared to this. So, pray for all things, but focus on these six things as you come to the Lord in prayer in 2019. Now, this morning we're going to celebrate communion as an opportunity to remind ourselves the prayer we just read was uttered mere hours before Jesus died for us. And so, we're going to take communion and use this opportunity to give thanks to Jesus. Not only for praying for us and teaching us to pray, but then dying for us so that we could be saved. So that we could be redeemed and reconciled to the Father. So as the men come forward to pass the elements, what I'd like you to do as the elements pass this time is I'd I'd like you to just take a couple minutes and I'd like you to think about that last night of Jesus' life. I'd like you to think about what he was doing when he prayed this prayer and never asked for, for to be delivered from the pain that was coming. I want you to to give thanks to Jesus for all that he's done for you. The Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that a mere few hours after you prayed the prayer of John 17, you chose to become our sacrifice. You suffered and you died in our place so that our sins could be forgiven, so that sin and Satan and death could be defeated. And then you rose from the dead in victory, giving us life, guaranteeing us life with you forever. We praise you for that. We thank you that through your death and resurrection, you've made it possible for us to become the children of God, that we can be in the family of God, that we can call God our Father just like you do. We thank you for that. We pray, Lord Jesus, that now that we're part of the family of God, please help us to talk to our Father like you did. Help us to turn to him often in prayer. And we pray that you would challenge us and convict us that when we pray, that we would pray for the best things, that we would not be like toddlers walking into a souvenir shop picking the first thing on the shelf, that instead we would look for what is best, what is highest. I pray, Lord Jesus, that in 2019 that we would grow in prayer, that prayer would become more important, more regular, and more focused in our lives so that we might be more like you. And we believe that prayer is important because in prayer we come before you in dependence and you fill us and you strengthen us and you use us to glorify the Father and to bless this world. And that is our hope. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you've done. It is that you might be famous, that we pray. Amen. Now, if you'll stand, we're going to respond and worship together.